Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. This morning's scripture comes from Luke 14, verses 14 through 30. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? they asked. Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. And you will tell, and you will tell the, me, do, you, do hear in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that we were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time, when the sky was shut for three and a half years, and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath, in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy, and in the time of Elisha, the prophet, yet not not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman and the, the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. My name is Andrew. For those of you I haven't met, and I've been attending the Vine for about five years now with my family. And it's a a privilege to get to speak to you today as we continue our series on the Holy Spirit. And today we're going to talk about how the Holy Spirit is an instrument for justice. Our text today is an introduction story, and introductions matter, don't they? This is the gospel writer's Luke's Luke's way of setting up Jesus' ministry and introducing Jesus to his audience. I'm curious, the characters that you thought of, can you remember their introduction? Introductions often are loaded and in subtle ways tell us important things. Um, I think my favorite character would be Benny the Jet Rodriguez from Sandlot. I think Luke's introduction does this and more. It doesn't just set something up for the future, but it also points backwards and it gives us a great deal of context. Jesus is introduced to us in this kind of setting like we're here today, a gathering of people present at the temple to hear a message on the Sabbath day. Fresh onto the scene after being driven to the wilderness and tempted by Satan, Jesus walks up before a crowd in Galilee And as it's mentioned, in the power of the Spirit, he requests to read from a prophet. He reads, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoner and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he goes and he sits down and with eyes fixed upon him, he says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing a mic drop moment. I asked Mark if I could preach for 45 seconds, but he said no, so I'm sorry. (laughs) This sermon has a weight 
that's not equal to its length. Luke is introducing a character in Jesus, one who is rooted in a rich history of Israel's journey with God, one who promises a fulfillment of God's victory, which brings healing and peace and freedom and liberation for good for all time. God's kingdom now has its king. And as one of our children's Bible stories says, Jesus is God's rescue plan for the world. Jesus, full of God's spirit, has come to hear the cry of God's people and of the world. Jesus has come to bring justice. And today, we're going to talk about how the Holy Spirit is an instrument of justice. To understand the layers and the weight of the context leading up to this this passage um, that Jesus reads, I believe we need to take a step back and look not just at this Isaiah passage, but even just at Israel's history as a whole. So I want to kind of walk us through a few segments. And um, if you're interested in this, I'm borrowing greatly from a book um, by Rob Bell and Don Golden called Jesus Wants to Save Christians. It's a manifesto for the church in exile. So let's go all the way back to the place of Egypt. God's people at the end of Genesis find themselves in a foreign place, in Egypt. And Egypt at the time was ruled by Pharaoh, and the role of the Israelite was to help Pharaoh to build his empire. Literally, brick by brick by brick, they served Pharaoh as enslaved people. We see in Egypt what happens when those in power fight to preserve their privilege at the expense of those who are less than. To not meet your quota of bricks for an Israelite, would lead to beating or possibly death. This is not how God had intended his creation from the garden. But as we know from the Exodus story, this is a story of liberation. It's a story of God's insurgent power of redemption over empire. God sends an unexpected shepherd named Moses who would come and he would lead the people out of Egypt and he would stand up to Pharaoh miraculously. What we know from Moses is that God hears the cry of the oppressed. Moses proclaims that God has heard the cry of the weak, and central to who God is, is that he hears his people and he brings about justice. God acts on their behalf to rescue them. And Israel's story is given a foundation, a foundation that there is a people, and they are in need of rescue from their God. And so Moses takes the people and they go across a sea, right? And they settle on the other side and they celebrate and they worship in a place called Sinai. They celebrate their liberation. Sinai is where God speaks to his people and he provides for them a way of being a nation that is anti-Egypt. It is anti-oppression. God is calling his people to live as liberated communities who do not oppress other people. God is calling his people to be a nation that is holy. The the language he makes here is he makes with these people a covenant. A covenant is like a deal or a marriage. It's a sacred moment of the, the human and the divine coming together. And for a people that have been for generations oppressed and lived as slaves, they would need instructions in how they are to live and to not enslave people. And so God gives them commandments And today we read these commandments as very legalistic, but in this setting, they were an instruction of how they were to treat other people with justice. I'll go through kind of quickly, but this first commandment, I'm just going to do the first four, by the way. Um, The first commandment is to not have any other gods. Another way of saying this is 
is to remember the God who liberated you. If you forget this God who liberated you, how are you going to liberate other people and not enslave them? A second commandment is not to turn anything into the image of a God, not to create idols, because this God is different than all the other gods of the time. This God can't be made into an image, because this God chooses his image to be his people. His people are to be the image of God to the world, so how they treat other people matters. The third thing is not to use the name of God in vain or not to misuse the name of God. The Hebrew word for misuse can also be translated as to carry. God is saying, you are to carry my name to the world. How you treat the other, the misfits of society, it matters because you are my witness to the world. The fourth commandment is to honor the Sabbath day. This is to say, that you need to rest because your worth and your value, it's not based on the amount of bricks that you can make. I am a God, I am a God who liberated you and so you point to me, it's not based on what you can do for yourself. These commandments were an instruction and a reminder to the people of Israel that their God is not like Pharaoh and there to live as a witness to their God and to be anti-Pharaoh. The people of Israel's faith is thus measured by how they treat others especially the widow, the orphan, the stranger, and the poor amongst them. God's desire is for them to make happen to others what God's justice made for them, to extend grace. And so, out of Sinai, the people eventually make it to the land promised to them. And it's there that they establish a true kingdom. This is in Jerusalem, a capital city, a kingdom that now has kings for itself, and they construct a temple. Known as the great king of their history, King David has his ups and he has its down, but, but mainly ups, and he's most known for bringing peace to this kingdom. And then the kingdom is, is passed down to his son, Solomon. Solomon is known for his wealth and his wisdom, but it's subtly mentioned that Solomon builds a temple, and he does so with forced labor. Another way of saying this is slavery. In just a few generations, enslaved people build a temple to worship the God who set slaves free, and they do so with slaves. As Solomon continues to accumulate wealth, he goes on to import more and more resources now to create military bases. He does so by bringing in horses from a nation none other than Egypt a country called to represent God's peace on earth, called to care for the widow and the orphan, has a higher priority to protect its wealth from others. Solomon has created an empire of indifference to those who cry out for justice. He's forgotten the story of his ancestors, and he's constructing an empire that looks a lot like Pharaoh. Jerusalem has become the new Egypt, and Sinai has already been forgotten. And that brings us to our fourth place, a place of exile, and that is Babylon. The Babylonians were conquered by the Israelites who took them to live in a place that was far away from home and far away from their customs. Exile is a place where you do not recognize who you are and who you're meant to be. Exile is a place um, where you don't recognize who you are because you've forgotten where you came from. Exile is also the place where the prophets seem to have the loudest voice, calling back to a nation to remind them of who they were meant to be. Isaiah writes in his first chapter, your hands are stained with blood. Wash, be clean, 
Remove your ugly deeds from my sight. Put an end to such evil and learn to do good. Seek justice. Help the oppressed. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. Come on and let's settle this, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they will be white as snow. If they are red as crimson, they will be like wool. The prophets of exile call out the injustices that Israel committed, but they also provide a glimpse of hope that once again, God will not abandon his people as he didn't abandon them in Egypt. Toward the end of Isaiah's writing, he describes one who will be sent as the Lord's servant. It's in this that he says later in Isaiah 61 about the Lord's servant that the spirit of the Lord is upon me to bring good news to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the text that, uh, that Jesus chooses to read from. This hope for Israel that Isaiah shares in a moment of darkness and exile, it's a hope that the people would ponder, they would sit with, they would wrestle with, and they would wonder for generations, how would this be fulfilled? And that brings us to our text today, to Galilee. I hope you can see in this backstory these themes of justice, these themes of people in need of rescue and God rescuing and setting them up to do justice and then failure and then needing rescue again. This is the story that Jesus came into, arriving at the temple steps in Galilee and very intentionally asking for this scroll from Isaiah 61. Jesus is saying, I am the new Moses. I have heard the cry I have heard the cry of the oppressed and I've come to rescue, to liberate the slave, to heal the brokenhearted, to free the oppressed and to bring justice for all. We see this in Jesus' life as Luke, above all the other gospels, makes an intentional point to showcase how Jesus' care and attention was always for disrupting the social norms and focusing on those in the margins, celebrating the wisdom of women, putting the low class at prominent seats ahead of the elite, creating spaces for the unclean, those with mental health, the uninvited members of society at the time. Jesus says, come, sit close to me. As Jesus tells the crowds, today this scripture has been fulfilled just as you heard it. Jesus is making quite a bold claim. A long, long, long history of God's people crying out and being rescued and messing up again and crying out. It's met its fulfillment. Jesus is the full embodiment of a God who hears the cries of his people. And he doesn't just come to rescue them, but he walks alongside them. Jesus is anointed by God's spirit, and he reveals to us a God that's made weak, who suffers, who's, who knows, who's been there. He's been wounded, and he's overcome. After this claim, you can imagine the room, probably some gasps, Probably some excitement, also some confusion. People are slowly starting to put the pieces together, the significance of what he had shared, and that's when we have the controversy. Jesus goes on to remind them that this offering of healing is not just for Israel. The people would likely be surprised at who's going to be included in God's kingdom. Irate, our text ends with the crowds turning on Jesus, attempting to run him out of his own town to throw him off a cliff, but subtly he passes through their midst. And so I wonder, how would we feel in that temple in Galilee? In our city today, in Austin, Texas, 
Where is the spirit of justice that anointed Jesus showing up in our lives today? Where do we see a spirit of God, a spirit of justice in our, in our own city, in our neighborhoods? I want to conclude with a few takeaways from this passage for our lives today. First, where do you need God's spirit of justice to heal you? Are you in a place of exile, far from home? Do you recognize your life in Christ as it were meant to be? Have you been forced to live a life measured by the number of bricks that you can build, a title, a number in a bank account? Have you been in an abusive relationship? Is there pain or injustice that you've suffered and you have not yet had an opportunity to heal? Is there an addiction that has you enslaved and you can't overcome? Remember first that our church is founded upon a people that need to call out to a God who hears our cries for help. Ultimately, God sent one who can resonate with our pain and our brokenness in Jesus. Jesus came to liberate, to free, to heal, to give sight, to redeem, to make whole, and that includes you. That includes us. Before we move on to others, I hope we can pause on our own need for God's Holy Spirit to bring justice and liberation in your own life today. And I want to say, it's okay to cry out. It's okay to not be okay. We are blessed to have a church community where we've had a lot of people who have overcome many of life's dark moments and challenging trials many that are happening right now. And that's what we are as a church. We're a community of people that walks alongside one another, and it's okay when we have to cry out. A second takeaway is, where is God's spirit of justice calling you? Just as Jesus was full of God's spirit, anointed to proclaim liberation and healing and peace, so you too have been given God's Holy Spirit to be a witness in our world. Where and what are we a witness to today in our community? We live in a world, in a community, and in neighborhoods that are desperately in need of healing. We live in a city that's desperately in need of more people bearing witness to a God who hears the cry of the oppressed desperate for an alternative way of being a kingdom. Tonight in our city, 550 young adults will find themselves on the streets, sleeping outside, in the woods, in a vehicle, or at a shelter. These are between the ages of 18 and 24. Half of those who are women are pregnant or parenting. Of this population, 76% of them have come out of systems like child protective services or juvenile justice. Systems that our country has created to support um, and bless these systems are failing. We live in a country that's built its economy and its infrastructure on the backs of enslaved people. We celebrate an end to slavery, but do we pause and recognize how slavery has just shifted shapes? From slavery to lynching, from lynching to school segregation, and today to mass incarceration. The U.S. makes up 5% of the global population, yet we have 25% of the world's prison population. Today, one in five black men 
find themselves being in prison at some point in their lives. The question is, are we asking why? Do we care? Do we wrestle with these awful truths? Do we lean into the challenges of our society and are we willing to make a change for the better of our community or like Solomon, with all of our wealth and our wisdom, do we feel the urge to protect what's ours? These statistics can be overwhelming and even paralyzing and these are just a few. I mean, there's so many topics that we can choose from. I know I don't have all the answers for sure, but I believe that if the church, the collective body of Christ, took hold of this scripture, if we believed that we too are anointed by this Holy Spirit to proclaim good news to the poor and freedom to the prisoner and recovery of sight, our world would be a place where people experienced wholeness and healing. If you're someone who's experienced God's liberation and healing in your life, then you have good news to proclaim. I think this is kind of cheesy, but it stuck with me. And a coworker said this last week. He said, my tests are my testimony, my mess is my message, and I'm blessed to be a blessing. While it's so hard to know where to begin, we can lean to that. Where has there been a mess in your life that you've been able to overcome? How can that be a message that you can share to the world? Or if you feel like this is disconnected and you haven't been through all these things, where do you have an abundance that you can share, a resource? Where is there a passion that you have? Where do you hear statistics or do you see things in our city and your heart hurts for those things? Where can there be an alignment of need and passion that you can lean into? Perhaps this is where we can start. Remember how God sent a savior to rescue the world. Jesus did not come as a mighty warrior equipped with every answer, but he came as a humble servant. He walked alongside those who were outcasts, who were exiled, those who were written off due to mental health crisis. Jesus experienced rejection and suffering and isolation. So as we go out into the world, know that you do not have to be a savior. In fact, you're not a savior. You don't have to have all the answers. The greatest thing you can do So you can walk alongside someone, you can listen, you can pay attention, you can see them and uplift another person's humanity and their dignity just as God sees them and hears them. And then when we listen, we can then be an advocate. We can represent, we can use our gifts to serve. There's a great lawyer, activist, and author named Brian Stevenson who said, we cannot change the world if we're not willing to get close to those who are suffering. This is a story about proximity. It's not easy, and some of us think this might not be for us, but I think there are so many people in our community who are using their gifts and their passions and their personal stories of liberation to serve others. I think of the Reddings, Kent and Luis. I don't think they're here today. They create spaces and opportunities to truly connect and develop relationships, authentic friendships with people whose lives look so different than ours. Christy Rome, who's also not here, has been an advocate that every kid in Vine's care should have an opportunity to learn, to be treated with respect, and to get to participate. Keely Briggs uses her gifts to serve in Vine kids and do just that. Tony Elkins has used her story and her victory and recovery to inspire others. Sarah Shepard has a passion for interior design. She's been able to create a space for my work 
to have a more fun and welcoming and open environment for young adults who are experiencing homelessness. There are countless people who have emailed the Compassion Team when there's news of something really hard going on in this community and saying, how can I give? Or let me give. Here, take this. Give this to them anonymously. Out of their abundance, people have been serving, listening to the leading of the Spirit in their lives to be ambassadors for justice, healing, and wholeness. And so we'll end with a third and final takeaway, which I want to give as a warning. This warning is to pay attention to what upset the crowds enough to try and kill Jesus at the end of this message. I believe Jesus was intending for his audience to not be surprised at who got to experience healing and liberation. We need to know this, that Jesus' message, it is radical. It's radical, and it clearly states it's good news for those who are on the bottom of society. We today, we live in a world of systems. These systems are created to advantage some at the expense of others. As I consider what it means to be someone who has lived within a system that has advantaged me greatly, it's taken a lot of wrestling discomfort and a ton of unlearning to have eyes to see and to be able to walk alongside those who have experienced a life that's very different than me. And I have so much more to go. I wonder if the role of the spirit of justice for us today and for me is to continue this recovery from our own blindness, our own apathy that we often benefit at the expense of other people's suffering. Perhaps we need the Holy Spirit to reveal to us where we participate in and how it might perpetuate injustice in our own communities and then seek to partner with Jesus in a radical and sacrificial way of loving others. So hear this today, Vine Church. You are anointed. You have been anointed by the same Holy Spirit that anointed Jesus. It resides with us as a church. It resides in you. May we be a church filled by God's Holy Spirit, a spirit of justice. May we experience God's healing spirit of liberation over places of bondage in your own lives. May the Holy Spirit help to open our eyes to places where we've been blind to injustice. And may we recognize the power and the, and the call that we have to proclaim good news to the poor, liberation to the oppressed, freedom to the captive, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Grace and peace. Amen. We hope you found this message encouraging. If you would like to learn more about The Vine, get connected to our community, or contribute financially to The Vine's ministry, go to our website at thevineaustin.org.